trying to make this podcast happen. So you're joining us after uh, multiple computer switches, multiple uh, software switches. Um, we're recording on a different setup than I normally do. So if this is all weird, um, blame Vince. No, it's it's totally <laughs> on my end. Um, for some reason, my, uh, my, uh, my computer that I normally record on has an absolutely abysmal internet connection right now, as opposed to a different computer sitting right next to it, which operates just fine. Uh, so that's uh, what we're joining into. And uh, yeah, how was your Thanksgiving, Vince? <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving was great. It's, uh, you know, I I have a family of five. And, and so Thanksgiving just feels like a small degree more uh, complication and insanity than than your typical, uh, you know, uh, dinner around my house. But it was great. We actually had two Thanksgivings, um, one with the bigger family and then one uh, with more my my smaller local family, which was amazing. And we, we did, too. Yeah. Tell me about it, man. What uh, when it comes to Thanksgiving, like it, it it's a holiday of food so what what would you say is kind of a uh i don't know a, a favorite of of you and your family well you know um okay so people really get wrapped up in like the sort of turkey aspect of thanksgiving for some reason thanksgiving is the official holiday of turkey which i consider to be like a third tier meat if i were going to eat that i think for <laughs> me uh thanksgiving is all about the carbs and living in the south um, there is a lot of contention on this. So in the South, there is dressing. Um, sure. And in other parts of the country, there's stuffing. And the South insists that these are two entirely different things. And that <laughs> dressing is moist and delicious and stuffing is dry and crappy. Um, having grown up in Pennsylvania, moved to the South when I was eight, celebrated holidays back and forth in both places for most of my life. I can tell you the two are basically the same thing. And that it's mostly semantic surrounding it. Now, when people start to get really artsy and start to throw like walnuts and cranberries in there, that's a <laughs> whole new ball game. Like you're get your I, I like uh, I'm on a falutin free diet. Like I don't need this high falutin, you know, stuffing dressing mix. Like it's not, oh, it's not that go. hard. I need I need like the celery and onion and I need some sort of bread in there of some kind, whether it be cornbread or otherwise and uh, chicken broth. Like that's the, the gist <laughs> of what this stuff is. And that's that's my thing. Like I could eat that stuff by the bucket. Yeah, I uh I I love that. I'm I'm not gluten intolerant. I am gluten enthusiastic. Uh it is it, it is very very close to to my my love language. <laughs> so, yeah, bring on bring on any of the bread products. I'm I'm game for all of it. Let me ask you this though. Like it's a, it's a pie holiday, right? Like for desserts people are people are thinking pies and you know, you've mm -hmm. got your sort of standard pies like your pumpkin and your um your pecan pie um maybe you're like one of those lunatics that has like apple pie still because you're still considering it to be like fall and it's like there's there's apples and stuff like that um where do you fall on the dessert spectrum what are you looking for on that dessert table uh it's it, part of it is because i'm from the midwest but apple pie is so hard for me to beat because winter is so brutal here in minnesota uh that any any reminders of the vestige of of life outside that we can get before it snows and it remains uh <clears throat> sub freezing for six plus months uh we'll we'll take it and yeah we we grow a lot of apples up here in minnesota so it uh 
yeah, it's it, it's kind of the perfect dessert around here. And I'm a huge cinnamon fan too. So put some cinnamon ice cream on top of it. I'm I'm good to go. So you're the lunatics. Like that's where that comes from. It's yeah, <laughs> I, I get it though. Like you actually have seasons. Um, we, here we just sort of bounce back and forth. Like it'll be 70 later this week. This morning it was 29 degrees. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've we've got seasons uh, to an obscene degree. Like if you're like, oh, I really like cold weather and I would prefer it if the wind chill hits, you know, 70 below zero sometimes like we have that we accommodate that. And if you're like, no, 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 I prefer the hot. I want my heat index over 120 degrees. We've got that, too. Six months after the 70 below wind chill. So, yeah, anything you can imagine, we've we've got it here. That's why averages are something to be suspicious of. Like on average, Minnesota sounds like it's a very temperate, comfortable place to live. <laughs> we, uh, I, I will say that the spring in Minnesota is unbeatable in, in part because the perspective that we have, that it means we've survived winter. Um, but yeah, it's just as fleeting as that moment is, uh, spring and, and then later fall is ma- makes it worth it. I remember like a few years ago, it was, I think, like negative nine degrees outside. And you said you went out to get your mail without a coat just to see what it felt like. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I, you're, you're, <laughs> I I just. OK, so in Nashville, every year at the Opryland Hotel, which is one of like the premier like, uh, I guess, uh, hotels around here. It's where they did the Ultrix conference back in 2020. But um they do an ice exhibit every year where they freeze an entire section of the place. And, you know, last year was like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Sometimes it's a Christmas story. They have giant ice carvings that are colored and everything you walk through. Um, it's like they keep that between three and nine degrees. You know, at Tableau Conference, you and I went to the ice bar. You know, we were in there with a bunch of people. You're walking around without a coat because. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> because yeah, um, and, and it's like you're saying like negative nine degrees. So when you go to the ice exhibit and you walk out of it and, and they make you wear a parka um, immediately upon walking out, you realize that all the moisture in your nose had frozen and it just runs down your face uh, because it's been, yeah. you know, at at the 30 to 40 degrees outside, it just melts and runs out immediately. What does negative nine degrees feel like? Uh, it's. <clears throat> It's refreshing uh, for a certain amount of time. And then and then you get to the part where, you know, like it, it makes it makes your insides hurt. Um, but yeah, for for a short, limited, brief amount of time. Yeah, it's not it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> How short is that limited period of time? Uh, there's I'm sure there's some health regulations that could specify this but like if you're outside without a jacket on and it's nine below i'd give it maybe a couple minutes uh not not much more than that it definitely hits a point up here where it gets so cold um that it cannot snow because the air itself just can't hold the moisture um which is kind of a fun concept to explain to people who have never been in that kind of cold before um it just it it seems counterintuitive we're a we're a strange group up here, but we're hardy. <laughs> I mean, look, the Vikings had to go somewhere, right? They're like this. All, all this is too easy. We need to go someplace <laughs> where it's a, appropriately challenging. You know, there was there was one point where where the wind chill was. Yeah, it was like 60, 65 below or something like that. And I remember looking up online to see what the current surface temperature of Mars was. 
And it was actually the wind chill in Minnesota was colder than it was on the surface of Mars, which uh, I took a, a weird kind of pride in. I get that. <laughs> I mean, personally, I don't want to live anywhere where if I accidentally locked myself out of my house, I could just die just from being there. <laughs> That's a fair point. I, I'll I'll give you that one. <laughs> I, I mean, I already had I, I've locked myself out of my house like one really good time. And uh, I used to have this dog named Penny. Penny, uh, my wife adopted this dog. Um when I was working on a conversion, I guess before I got into data and I was just in IT, we, uh, we were converting a call center product over to an entirely new product and it was like launch weekend. So it was it was awful. Like we were up there Friday night, we we're there all day Saturday. I'm back there Sunday, I got there at six in the morning. I've been there all day and my wife uh, calls me, it's, it's before we had the kids, and she calls me from like a baseball game. Like apparently someone had given us box seats. She's at this baseball game and she's like, it's pet adoption day and there's this one dog left and she's so <laughs> sweet and she's been here three weeks. And if no one adopts her, she's just going to get put down. Like, what should we do? And I'm just like, I don't think I'm ever coming home. I, th I, think, <laughs> I think this is, I think this is just my life now. And then that <laughs> night I come home and I have a dog. Uh, Penny <laughs> apparently was so chill because she had really bad ear mites. It turns out she mm -hmm. was extraordinarily hyperactive and she was like a terrier breed. Um, so this dog was always digging out of our backyard, always kind of crazy. Like no matter what we did with like obedience class or anything else, there was no like calming her down. She would just jump on you endlessly. And when she was really going, she could run at you at full speed and like she could run, jump, pick off my chest and then land back on the ground. So like the one no barcore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the one notable time I locked myself out of the house. Um. I went out to give her some food in the backyard and realized I'd locked myself out. Uh, my phone was in the house. Uh, my keys were in the house. And I was out there with the dog who was jumping on me endlessly. And I was only in pajamas and a bathrobe. Um, <laughs> so I'm in the backyard. I think it was also like 40 degrees outside. I mean, which is, you know, like like Minnesota summer. But um, so I'm out there and I realized, like, what what am I going to do? And I realized, like, I had my blue phone, Bluetooth headset. So I was able to make a call through my phone to a locksmith. <laughs> like, I like, OK. I need you to come get me in my house. I'm trapped in the backyard. Yes, there's a dog, but I will hold her the entire time. So I ended up <laughs> holding her like a like a like a large 25 pound squirming baby while the locksmith like popped my lock uh, in my pajamas. You know, it's technology, man. It, it's <laughs> I love it. I, I love that that was the solution. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it was I, without outside of that. I don't know what I was going to do, I guess go over to a neighbor to call my wife or something, something, something like slightly more humiliating, but you know, still up there. <laughs> I love it. So I think you were one of my first, uh, tableau friends that I met in person. Um, and I believe it was, I knew of you online and stuff, uh, back around the time of tableau conference 2017. And uh, one of the reasons you sort of popped there, in addition to the fact that I had gotten to know you a little bit online, is because you were doing like the fundraising for relief for uh, the shooting victims. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a mass shooting that happened right outside uh, the Mandalay Bay back in 2017, right before, the, like two weeks before the conference. It was my first conference, so I was terrified. Like I didn't know what the conference was going to be like in the first place, but with that happening on top of it, I was like really uncomfortable going. Um, and Vince did um, a big fundraising relief to to help the uh, the victims of that. And I remember meeting you in person for the first time in uh, 2018 
uh, in New Orleans uh, when I think you kind of just flagged me down in a crowd <laughs> and we went to a vision tooltip session together. And I just thought that was really yeah. cool of you. Like, I know um, when you're sort of new in the Tableau community, um, it's very easy to feel like you don't really know anybody, especially like you don't know anybody in person. Um, but you sort of uh, really, um, I don't know, you 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 represent that spirit of like openness and kindness and welcomeness so much. The fact that you would just like grab somebody and like, hey, like, come with me. And I, I sort of really <laughs> between you, you, like at that conference, like you did that. Um, Klaus did that. Uh, he saw I was in a session because I had tweeted it. And he like stood up, waved me down and came and sat <laughs> with me. And Sarah Bartlett uh, and Ken Flerledge did that. And I was like, wow, like it's so cool that people are so open to that, to, especially people that are like way junior to them in terms of like sort of where they are in, in terms of their career and all that. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. It, you know, I, 2016 was my first conference and, and every conference that I've been to, I've approached in a little bit different way. And when I started out uh, in 2016, um, I wanted to learn all of the technical things, right? I had my laptop with me every step of the way, and I went to all the sessions in which I was actually creating something. And that was the value that I got out of that one. And the next year in 2017, I was really excited because I wanted to focus on community. I had I had always heard about how, how much of a, a differentiator the community was. And then, yeah, it was it was a week before before the conference started the Sunday before the conference started that the shooting happened. And there was such a, 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 a spirit of fear in that and everybody wondering, one, whether the conference would even happen and two, how it would change. And, yeah, we had been looking forward to it for an entire year. And so I wanted to wanted to keep something of that 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 enthusiasm alive without it coming off as or or feeling um inauthentic or disrespectful anything like that and i remember having this this thought that like you know you've got thousands of people coming to a place where where they're they're vulnerable where they're hurt um there's there's potential in that and so i floated the idea out to a couple of people um to see if maybe they wanted to share a cab ride with me or something to go volunteer or go donate like do something while we were in town to 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 help and they told people who told people who told people and before i knew it uh people were reaching out to me saying hey uh we heard you're putting something together to help and we want to be a part of it what can we do and up until that point i had i had run a bake sale in college once but like i had never done any sort of uh organization at this level and so we uh, we ended up yeah settling on a fundraiser as sort of the 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 best common denominator that could be uh, that could be helpful and yeah it was amazing that became my entire focus for 2017 and yeah in four days we raised over 120 thousand dollars which went to the the victims and the families affected by by the shooting and it was amazing it catalyzed the importance of the community for me and up until that point I had very much been a I, I like to think of it as sort of like a second row kind of uh, community member where I I admired all of these paragons of data visualization that I that I looked up to so much, but I didn't really have the confidence to be a part of that conversation yet. I wanted to be near it, um, 
but I felt like I hadn't really earned my place in that conversation yet. And I spent enough time on that second row that those people started reaching out to me and started including me because that's the spirit of the community. And before I knew it, I was I was a part of those conversations and it felt surreal and imposter syndrome started uh, started kicking at me. Um, but, yeah, once I once I had people start to reach out to me uh, and, and look up to me, I felt this overwhelming obligation to kind of pass that on and to to do away with the idea of sort of a social hierarchy within the Tableau community um, and to to reach out to people who I admire for a thousand different reasons. Um, and when I see somebody that I admire for what they do, the kind of work they do, the way that they um, communicate with other people, uh, the, the content of their character, like I want to I want to meet them. Right. I, and, and I always I always imagine, like, if I'm the average of the five people around me, I want to choose those people specifically to bring to bring myself up. Right. And and I I've I've been named a Tableau ambassador five times now, and it's given me an amazing platform to do just that, to encourage everyone around me and 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 push that idea of what a community can be. Uh to yeah, to folks who are who are newer to the community who might not have ever experienced authentic benevolent support like that from people who just happen to do the same type of work that they do. You know, there's there's something there's something more to to community than than just that. One of the uh, one of the ways that that has kind of manifested itself uh, most focused uh, in, in the last few years for me, um, is I, I remember hopping onto a group chat with you and Christina Gorga, uh, around the same time. And that was kind of my first, uh, my first little friend group within the Tableau community, uh, which was amazing. And I love that that's kind of the genesis of our story. Um, and, and that grew and that grew and I started, uh, kind of dipping a toe in the water for other group chats and everything. Um, which can quickly become overwhelming, right? Depending on the group that you're with. Um, but one of those uh, one of those groups that I was that I was a part of, um, when 2020 hit, uh, we we kind of started forming this group as a means of of building a sense of community that I felt like everybody was was hungry for. Um, and then when when Tableau announced that their conference was going to be virtual in 2020, we all expected that, right? Everybody's conference was virtual in 2020, um, and it and it was and it was hard. It it felt like growing pains, and we kind of expected it would be right. Um, but then in 2021, when they announced that for the second year it was also going to be virtual, it felt like the wind had been taken out of our sails, you know, and. And I remember floating an idea out to that group chat that I was on and said, look, I know everybody's comfort level is in different places uh, with the pandemic. However, I was like, if if you're up for it, if you're willing to take that risk and we'll do all the testing and we'll be as safe as we can. What would you guys think about 
just picking a city at random and just all going to the same place and doing this virtual conference together. Right. And so of all the places that we could have chose, we ended up uh, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which I had never been to. And it is a bizarre and wonderful city. Um, and and it was. Yeah, it was in late 2021 and it became such a focal point of the year for me that that what I needed in that moment the most was again the sense of community that I felt like you know we were two years into into sort of social distancing and all of that kind of stuff and so it was very much a balm to uh, to that sense of isolation that we had and uh, just this year we actually did kind of a, a a version two of that and we we all headed down to uh, Orlando and just picked a house down there. And what's what's amazing and what's beautiful to me about that is that we didn't spend all of our time talking about data visualization. We didn't spend our time talking about visual analytics and all of the amazing things that are going on in that industry. We just hung out as friends. And at some point, it became more than just people that do the same thing uh, for work. It, it kind of organically grew into more than that. Um, and so I, I I very much am at a point now where I want to take that idea and what that's become for me and and try and enable that in other people too, who, yes, might enjoy what they do, but might be missing that aspect of, of community in their lives and people who are there for them, who support them and, and uplift them and enable them in any way they can. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot to be said for that. Um, I think as adults, um, it's difficult to make friends. You know, it's 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 for many people, it's difficult to make friends as children, too. But um, once you're adults, you know, the cement has kind of dried in you in, in many ways. And also, like, uh, how are you going to meet people like it's the you know, there's not really like a dating app for friends, you know, <laughs> um, so, so finding people with, you know, similar interests or or even very different interests than you that you find interesting and in getting to know and understand them better uh, can be daunting as an adult, particularly in sort of the social media air you know, era where it's really difficult to, um, to understand many people because, you know, maybe they're putting a certain version of them forward that they think others want to see from them, or maybe they only um, prefer to talk about like a specific thing. Like, you know, we, we've all seen uh, social media accounts that like, I just talk about superhero movies. That's my thing. And it's like, okay, but <laughs> I don't know anything about yeah. you other than the fact that you really love Spider-Man, but I think it's cool that you really love Spider-Man. So I think, you know, actually like finding a group of people that you feel so comfortable with and, Get, really getting to know them better and get beyond that. And that's one of the things for me with this podcast where, you know, following uh, 2019, I was like, I want to have more, just more normal conversations with people. Like data is ostensibly the reason we're talking, but this is more of an excuse for me to get to talk with my friend Vince and also for <laughs> people get to, to get to know you beyond data. Like this informs yeah the other stuff that they see about you and the other stuff they see about me. And I think that's, there's so much value to that because, you know, when people, you know, want to understand and get to know other people, it can be really, uh, really difficult to, to do that. So, you know, finding your own groups, like starting off with maybe like a chat, like you and Christina did, and then like growing into the cabin crew, like you guys have, you know, <laughs> where you, where you get to, by the way, you guys missed me by one week in Orlando. I was literally there with my family at Disney world the week oh. before for, for fall break. I, um, 
I heard that and it it broke my heart, man. <laughs> I, I I couldn't have handled it any more, Orlando. By that point, anyway, I was I was like I we spent seven days in Disney parks. I was done. Oh, yeah, that's that's a marathon, man. Um, you know it's it, it it's funny. You know, you mentioned social media, and and a few episodes back, you had you had Nelson on, and and you guys were talking about authenticity, right? And kind of this this idea of the facade that you put up that people fall in love with that facade. And maybe there's, there's sort of a, a, a gap between that and your authentic self. And, um, it reminds me there's, there's a, there's a quote by Brene Brown, um, that I really like about this. And she says that vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It's the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. And if we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Right? And I love that quote. And, and, and so much of what I've talked about at Tableau user groups and stuff like that is coming from a place of, of diving in more than just the dashboards that I create or diving in more than just the strategies I use to lead teams of people, like it comes from that place of vulnerability, of being being open and honest and authentic. And, and you know, I, I had spoke about, um, I had done a presentation about the fundraising in 2017 and how at that point I felt so unequipped and so unprepared to step into that kind of role within the community um, and the outcome of that was amazing. But at the time I, I was, I, I stepped into a place of vulnerability to kind of encourage other people who might feel like they've got a lot of great ideas, but maybe they haven't earned the social clout to put those ideas out there. And, and yeah, I've, I've felt like if there is a persona that I have started to cultivate around, um, how I interact with other people and who I am in that community and who I want to be in the community. That's, that's it, right? That's, that's exactly the mark that I'm aiming for um, is being that, that example for people who might, might not have the confidence to put their, their own creative work out there or might not feel like they, they can be bold and, and put their voice out there. So I think that's a that's a, you're you're a real encourager and you always have been and I think encouragement is something so many people need and so many people uh, need to hear like some people continually some people at different stages you know some people just need their confidence um, built or like their their value reaffirmed in many ways I know for me like a lot of sort of my when I oh, I sort of felt like I changed how I dealt with Tableau Public and started doing more stuff that I felt was representative of my interests versus just doing, um, you know, community exercises, they popped up. A lot of that came from inspiration from you. Like, I remember you taught me how to do Cartesian coordinates. Uh, <laughs> like, you, you sent me, like, maybe three or four messages, like, if X equals this and Y equals this, then it draws a line from here to here. And I'm just like wait a second. Yeah, it does. And, you know, just, just the fact <laughs> yeah. that all of a sudden I knew I could draw within Tableau by essentially making my own data, it's, it really changed the way I thought about a lot of stuff. So it, it's going to be different for every single person and what inspires them to, you know, continue on their learning path and personal journey and self, you know, self-development as a person. But I know for me, like you doing that uh, for me, 
um, in ways you probably never realized really sort of got me fired up. I appreciate that, man. It, uh, it, it was, yeah, that, that I remember that conversation because we were talking about polygons yeah. in Tableau and, and it was kind of this, this mystery mark type. Um, but I had, I had recently actually just before that kind of stumbled my way into it and, and, and tried and failed in every way that you can fail to make polygons in Tableau. And to the point where I understood what it was doing and when it finally clicked and it finally worked, I understood why. Right. And so, yeah, when, when the opportunity came from me to teach somebody else about it, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be the kind of person that was just like, well, this is what you do. I want to, I want you to understand why it works. Right. And that's, I am a, I, I love teaching people. I've got, I've got three sons. I am in the perfect place to teach people all day, every day. Um, and I've got a passion for that. And so, yeah, the idea that if, uh, that you can't really say you understand something until you can explain it to somebody else and have them understand it, uh, rings very, very true for me. Um, and you know, one of the, one of the things that, that I, I work on with my kids all the time. And I, I, I tell this to, to my team at work too, is that if you, if you find yourself intimidated by learning a new thing, or you find yourself feeling like I should understand this, why, why is this so hard for me to get? And you start to become discouraged. I love this idea that you can grow or you can be comfortable, but you can't do both at the same time. Right? So if you're feeling like you're a little bit out of your depth, or you're feeling like, uh, I, I don't I don't have this yet and I'm starting to get frustrated. Remember and understand and 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 be thankful for the fact that you are exactly where you need to be in order to grow. Um, and yeah, polygons and Tableau happened to be uh, that moment at that time. And I'm so thankful that I got to be a part of, of that journey for you. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was awesome. Like so many times you learn stuff and don't remember where it came from. But like I distinctly remember uh, that moment, that conversation. Um, but it's interesting you're talking about like, uh, you know, the, you know, either being uh, comfortable or sort of growing. And I think like the I think I just said comfortable in a strange way, too. Um, I blame the song Comfortable Doug from Centaur World that my <laughs> daughter always wants to play in the car by Flula Borg, the German singer. <laughs> Anyway, it's that's really a, weird. That's a deep cut, man. <laughs> the deep cut. Uh, it says, I know you are vegeta vegetable, but are you comfortable? Uh, so that's that's <laughs> where that strange pronunciation came from. I'm glad we went deep on that, everybody. But I was going to say, um, <laughs> um, with sort of the the uh, the discomfort in learning and the comfort in sort of being where you are and how it's often something cyclical, you know, how you sort of go through different stages, you're uncomfortable, something you learn it, you become comfortable with it. And you either go deeper on it and get uncomfortable again or pick up something new and, and grow on that. Um, I think one of the interesting things is the more that you've done it, the easier the discomfort gets because you recognize that you've been there before and that if you are persistent, uh, you will learn. Um, or alternatively, maybe you'll learn a way around it. So much of what I do is oftentimes I find something really hard and I'm like, I'd prefer not to do that. There has to be a better way of doing this so I don't have to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've I've had um, I've had people joke before that they they uh, they like me because I'm lazy, not in the sense that I don't work, but in the way that I'm going to find an easier way to do something than the way that it's sort of prescribed to do it. Um, because mm -hmm. you know, finding easier ways to do things oftentimes, you know, 
could make things easier for other people that um, might be, you know, further, uh, further behind than you or, you know, just starting out and stuff like that. And and I know for me, like I've done some teaching myself in the past couple of years on the side uh, on the weekends and even basic things that I'm supposed to know, like as soon as you have to explain them to someone else, it really makes you have to sort of solidify your own understanding of things to be able to explain it in a way to someone who is like an absolute civilian coming in off the streets. You know, mm-hmm. it may be easy for me to talk about like measures and dimensions, but now that I have to explain it to someone else, I can't count on the fact that they know anything. I can't use any kind of shorthand. I really have to be thorough and clear. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> clear is kind, right? Like when you uh, w- when you can present something with with clarity, uh, everything gets a little bit better. Um, there's a uh, there's a, a Swiss psychologist named Carl Jung who put out this uh, this idea <clears throat> of sort of comparing a, a journey or a life to a day from sunrise to sunset, right? And I love I, I I love this entire concept, especially as it pertains to our careers. And there's a tie-in with clarity that I'll get to. Um, But he talks about how in the beginning from sort of sunrise to like the midpoint of the day, we're at this stage in the journey where we're we're in sponge mode. Right. We're trying to we're trying to learn as much as we can. The things that we put out there have every tip and trick uh, that we can possibly pack into our our data visualizations and our dashboards. Um, I, I certainly followed this pattern where some of my early stuff that I put out there had 27 different charts in one dashboard and i was really proud of it and i thought that that would that would show people that i am a good designer that i can do all of these things right and then we get to we get to this point like kind of the the midday sun of our journey where we start to question things like all right but why am i doing this right like i'm really good at this but 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 what's the end goal here Right. And then as we move into kind of the afternoon of our journey, we start to value clarity in a brand new way where where we kind of hit this point where we're willingly leaving things on the cutting room floor and we start to tap into things like uh, like really well-balanced white space or breathing room in our visualizations or uh or we, we kind of let go of all the trappings of the extra that we relied so much on in the beginning of our journey. Um, and yeah, it's when I look at, when I look at people who I admire the most and, and whether that's in data visualization or leadership or time management or any other discipline, that's the, that's the element of the people that I look up to the most that I feel like I, I wish I had that. Right. Like I, I wish I I wish I was able to effectively let go of some things so that I can focus on what what matters the most. Right. And and I am right at that point in my life, too, where I'm 40 years old this year. I've got three kids. I've got a career. I've got so much stuff going on at one time that I'm 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 hitting that point where I'm like, OK, what's what's most important to me? Right. What brings my life and me as a person meaning and how can I rearrange things and identify what aspects of my life are okay to let go 
and to not pour myself into, right? What's moving my needle forward and, and what's making me the better version of myself um, that I can be, you know? I think that's a little Marie Kondo for your, your life, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, I think that's very true. Like um, a, as we all sort of go through our lives, there's stuff that we pick up and put down at different stages and maybe stuff you return to later. But I think, yeah, it's like whether it be work product, either professional or your sort of more side artistic ventures, understanding like what you want to and need to bring to things. I so relate to what you're talking about, how earlier in sort of your stuff, you wanted to show all the tricks that you know. Um, and I think it's, especially if you're in a public setting where you're trying to demonstrate your stuff to others, that's a real temptation uh, early on. And I think it's almost incentivized uh, in a way. Like uh, if you just put a, if you just put a very simple pie chart on the page, I'm choosing a pie chart just to rib Simon Beaumont because he he <laughs> thinks I love pie charts um, or at least he trolls me about it. Um, you know, that might be the absolute perfect application of this. You might have minimalistically nailed this thing, but that doesn't impress people like the thing that impresses people is oftentimes, you know, let me show you every single thing I've got in the bag of tools, even if it's not necessarily applicable to the thing that you're needing to do right now. Like the Pontiac Aztec had a lot of stuff going on. I'm sure individually, <laughs> a lot of the different features on that vehicle made sense on their own. But once you put them all together, it's uh, kind of like that story of the blind men with the elephant, how each of them touches a portion of it. And it's like they they describe the elephant as this thing because they only know a single aspect of it. When you cram right. all that together, you get a funny looking thing and not everything needs to have every trick on it. Um but yeah, it's oftentimes you learn the tricks faster than the application of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great insight. It, it, there's, there's a never ending supply of tricks to pick up and not just with Tableau, with any tool. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think it's the value of a, of a clear insight outweighs the fanciest, prettiest dashboard that you could drop that insight into uh, and i feel like in the conversations about oh you know the dashboard is dead and we're we're in kind of a post dashboard uh you know place with within visual analytics like that's that's at the heart of it i think is is that clarity and and what's the easiest path for us to get to that clarity um in terms of dashboard design, like one of the examples that that I've used and that I come back to a lot is the difference between uh, between cars from like the 1940s and 50s uh, and the dashboards of those cars compared to like the dashboard of a space shuttle, right? Where you've got 27 million switches and and dials and stuff, and yes, you can learn so much more from a space shuttle uh, dashboard. But it's going to take you much, much longer to get to those insights. You need so much more time and training to be able to understand what you're looking at in the first place. And, you know, if you if you spend all of your time looking at those, you, your eyes aren't on the road. You know, like there's something to be said for the simplicity of, of, of a dashboard like those cars from the 40s and 50s where, you know, you can glance down, get the information you need and then get your eyes right back to the road. Um, you can continue to steer the vehicle in the direction it needs to go. And I think I, I think there's space for both, right? I, I don't think we should necessarily do away with the big complicated dashboards because there is use 
for those and for the people who are well trained and familiar with their data that can make uh, that can make action out of the insights that that provides. I think there's a space for that. Uh, I don't think every dashboard needs to do that. And I think that trying to fit every dashboard into that mold is doing a huge disservice. Um, but yeah, clear is kind. I, I think it's it's why understanding who your audience is um, and what the purpose or utility of the thing you're making is can really determine the outcome and approach. You know, it's if you're if you're dealing with executives, you're not going to be delivering line item level financial details like that right. doesn't help them. That's not that's not useful to them. It's not kind to them, as as mm -hmm. as you mm -hmm. say, you know, it's executives need to know are we up or down if we're if we're <laughs> right. down. Who do I talk to? You know, it's like that's what they need to know. In the same way, mm -hmm. that car dashboard, it has all those little yellow and red indicator lights that are off 99% of the time. Unless you're like <laughs> yeah. my car that has that weird like replace, like it, it, I don't know. It's this message that pops up all the time that I can't get to turn off that is defunct. Um, <laughs> this but, little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? <laughs> exactly. It's those don't all show all the time because if every single metric showed all the time, regardless of its current relevance to my situation, it would just mm -hmm. become background noise and I would learn to ignore it like that little yeah. indicator that I get all the time that I've already forgot you what it means. But <laughs> the fact that those only turn on when it's relevant to me, it's like your tire pressure is low. I'm like, OK, I should fix that so I don't depressurize and crash suddenly. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, that's that's the difference between, you know, that all up approach like for the NASA astronaut. They've been thoroughly trained on what all of these switches and lights and dials and gauges mean so mm -hmm. that when something occurs, they know where to look, what to press and what to do. Most of us don't have the benefit of having users like that. Our users are, you know, they might be experts in their arena. Our arena is to present to them the relevant data to what they need to do to make choices in the most streamlined way that doesn't distract them or turn them off to looking at it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think we, you know, we, we fall, we're certainly vulnerable to over-engineering dashboards too, right? I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to excuse us from the responsibility of doing that well um, just because we can. Uh, I, I remember <clears throat> at, at the Twin Cities Tableau user group a number of years ago, we had a presentation um, in which the speaker described this uh, seven-tier Sankey diagram that he had built. And he talked about how he had done it and, and all the complex uh, data densification and everything that he had to do. And as he got further into the story, I remember feeling like, I, I feel like he's getting a bullseye on the wrong target here. Like, Technically, I'm I'm impressed and I'm I'm tracking with him every step of the way, but he he saved it because at the end he said, you know, I so I finished it and we put it in the dashboard and I I came to understand and realize and accept that the only insight that that seven tier Sankey diagram delivered was that I knew how to build a seven tier Sankey diagram, right? And there was this moment of of sort of self admonishment and and vulnerability. Uh, where, yeah, when you kind of realize that, like, okay, just because I can, I probably shouldn't have, right? Like, I was, I was, had my sights set on the wrong target. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the element that I'm always, 
that I'm always after is how can I how can I be clear and how can I yeah how can I chase after that that simplified uh, version and speak to my audience the way that they need me to speak to them so it resonates. I think there's there's something so so honest about that presentation because I think so many times you would realize that and then change your entire presentation accordingly. I think walking through it and then at the end, I think in many ways it tells a better, truer story to how many of us uh, learn and relate to our profession. Uh, Vince, it's been an incredible almost hour, and I know we're both <laughs> tight on time. I'd love yeah. to have you for another hour sometime, but before we go today, is there anything you want to shout out or promote? Uh, yeah, there's, there's one thing that, that kind of came to my mind. Um, it is a, is an effort that is, it's kind of an initiative that is being put out by, uh, Adam Miko in the Tableau community called Tableau Next 2024. Uh, you can search for that hashtag and, um, the idea behind it is that it's a way to uh, celebrate and and champion people in the community who are sort of the unsung heroes, right? Like we have amazing programs put out by Tableau in their visionary program and their ambassador program. But at the end of the day, the community thrives because there is so many people giving into it and so many people bringing their best to it. And this is a really, really great way for, uh, for some of those people, those unsung heroes, to get the recognition um, that that they deserve too. So yeah, you can search on on Twitter or X for Tableau Next 2024 as a hashtag. Awesome. Uh, make sure to check out Tableau Next, uh, hosted by Adam Miko. Uh, looking for new uh, new submissions. There's been a lot of really cool people that have come through there the past few years. Uh, make sure to put up somebody awesome who's not getting the attention they deserve. Vince, thanks again for coming on. Uh, happy uh, belated Thanksgiving, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Sounds good. Thanks, Zach.